0: So we've been talking about the topic of righteousness. What is righteousness? What do you mean when you say God is righteous? When you say God is righteous, it simply means God is right. Everything and anything that God does is right. There is nothing wrong with him. Everything he says, everything he does is right. And that nature is called righteousness. To be righteous means the ability to stand before God without a sense of guilt or shame or condemnation, to be able to look God face to face as if sin never existed before. That is righteousness. To be right with God. To be in right standing with God. Hallelujah. And the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you became righteous. That second 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, You became a new creation, a brand new species of being that never existed before. Hallelujah. And it says, Behold, all old things are passed away and all things are new. Everything about the old person, the sinner, is gone. You say, Brother, I know who I am. I look the same. I think the same. Well, it's your spirit that got born again. The part of you that got born again is your spirit recreated exactly like Jesus. It is exactly like Jesus. That's why scripture says, all things are of God. That means everything about your born again, recreated spirit is exactly like Jesus. All well to all like Jesus, hallelujah. Second Corinthians 521 says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became our sin. Anything and everything that sin represents, that sin is, he became that. The sin of all humanity, he became that. Your past, present, future sins, everything, he took it. Even before you were born, 2,000 years before you were born, he took your sins. And the moment you believe it and receive it, your nature changes. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm excited about this because an understanding of righteousness opened the doors for me to receive anything and everything that God promised in the scripture for the righteous. Hallelujah. After I got born again, I started reading the Bible for the first time. And when I saw these promises in the Bible made to the righteous. I thought it was for somebody who is perfect. Or somebody who is a minister of God. Somebody who's been born again and been in Christ and served God for a long time. And after a certain period of time, you will be declared righteous. It's like an ordination. That's what I thought. But I'm glad I was wrong. Because the moment I understood this truth, it set me free. Hallelujah. So, I've been... Meditating on these scriptures and we've been looking at these things in the first class. We looked at over 90 scriptures that talks about the benefits of the righteous. And in the previous class, we saw one of the biggest inheritance or the benefits of being righteous is healing. It's your inheritance. The inheritance of every born again Christian. the Inheritance of the righteous. Jesus became the curse. We saw in Deuteronomy 28 all the curses that that's written there and part of the curse is sickness. Sickness, disease. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Everything that the curse represents he became that. All the consequences of the curse he took it upon himself. And Isaiah says he bore our sicknesses weaknesses, distresses, and carried our pains and sorrows. Why? So we don't have to carry it anymore. That's why it says, by his stripes, you are healed. And Peter, looking back at the cross, he said, by his stripes, you were healed. In fact, let's look at 1 Peter 2.24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Hallelujah. So what are we supposed to live for? So if you are sick, can you live for righteousness? No. You're supposed to live for righteousness. Last week we saw your body was purchased. He purchased your body. Your body and your spirit, which it belongs to God. And we also saw that your body is supposed to be used as instruments of righteousness in Romans 6.13. So, if you are sick, how can your body be used as an instrument of righteousness? So, healing is your inheritance. It's your right. It's your birthright. You need to take hold of it, receive your healing, whatever it is. Hallelujah. So, that was one advantage. We're looking at the second benefit. Okay, that is... Prosperity, you might think. Oh, is this a prosperity class? Well, it's not exactly a prosperity class, but it's an awareness class to make you aware of the benefits of being righteous. Hallelujah. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Read it again. It says, Blessings are are on the head of the righteous. Where is blessings? On the head of the righteous. Who is righteous? You and me. Hallelujah. And what does this blessing do to you? It says in verse 22, Proverbs 10, 22, it says the blessing of the Lord, it makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. So, I didn't make this up. You can see it for yourself. It says blessings are on the head of the righteous. And what does the blessing do to you? It makes you rich. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Look at it. It says, who has blessed us. That's past perfect tense. That means he has already blessed you with every blessing in heavenly places. That means all the blessings that heaven has, he has already blessed you with. And where is it on your head? And what is the result of it? You become rich. It makes you rich. And that rich is not talking about spiritual richness. Don't be religious about it. It is talking about material wealth, riches, abundance. Hallelujah. So this is the benefit of being righteous. Prosperity. And if you look at it, there are actually three levels of prosperity. The first level is basic provisions to have your needs met. That's God's law of provision. It's a merciful God. He supplies all your needs according to his riches in glory. Philippians 4.19 and if you look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 says, Look, behold, look at the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into the bars, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? It's a, it's a clear question. Aren't you better than the fowls of the air? You who is created in the image of God, the Creator Himself. If he can take care of the birds, the fowls of the air, can't he take care of you? Hmm? Think of it. So that's step number one, basic provision. Number two is abundance. That means the measure above your basic needs, out of which you can give to the Lord, give for the works of the Lord, abundance. And how does that come? Through sowing and reaping. I told you this is not a prosperity class. Let me make this very clear to you. I'm not raising an offering. This is just to bring you into awareness of the benefits of being righteous so you can take possession of it. Hallelujah. So the second level is abundance. That is to have more than your needs met. To have an overflow. And how does that happen? Through the basic law of sowing and reaping. In Genesis 8.22, it says, while the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest. And Isaiah 55 verse 10, it says, he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. To whom does he give seed? To the sower. And as you sow the seed, you reap the harvest. What is the seed? That is the abundance. Bread for the eater is provision." And seed for the sower is abundance. He gives bread for the eater. That's your basic needs being met. And seed for the sower is for the next level. Abundance. Hallelujah. If you go to Second Corinthians chapter 9, we'll look at this in detail in a while. It says in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply the seed that you've sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. See, that's the next level. He multiplies what? The seed that you sow. That's level number two. Hallelujah. And the third level is wealth. Wealth. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. God gives you the power to get wealth. That is beyond abundance. Not just having your needs, met, Not just having more than enough. But this is beyond all that. So you can leave a provision for the next generation. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. See the righteous mentioned there? A good man. Who's a good man? The righteous person. Hallelujah. He's talking about the righteous. What does he do? He leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Let's look at Psalms 112. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants, look at this, shall be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright is blessed. So it's talking about the descendants, the next generations. This man is already blessed. The righteous is already blessed. What about the next generation? They are blessed too. His descendants will be mighty upon the earth. The generation of their pride is blessed. And what's the next verse? Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. It says, His righteousness endures forever. Whose righteousness is your righteousness? Righteousness of God. So what is the benefit? Wealth and riches are in your houses. So there are three levels of prosperity. Provision, getting your basic needs met. Abundance, having more than enough. And wealth. The overflow of abundance so you can bless the next generation. So let's better deal with a lot of misconceptions that are there about Prosperity. If you look at Proverbs chapter 30, it's an interesting Proverbs. Verses 7 to 9, we'll read right now. It says, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, And profane the name of my God. Interesting scriptures. Sounds very righteous. And many people have taken this portion of scripture. And they started praying this. To sound very religious. To sound very religious. They pray these prayers. God, don't make me poor. Don't make me rich. Just give me enough. Just enough. So I will survive. So I will not steal. And I will not be proud and deny you. If i'm rich it's a very religious prayer but look at who wrote this look at verse number one the words of agur the son of jake his utterance. so scripture really notes down who said these words one thing i want you to know is scripture is a manuscript it's the holy manuscript but not all the verses are words of god most of it is written for our examples so it can be an instruction for us we can learn from the mistakes other people did and then there are words of God and words of Christ you need to remember this now some of the scriptures you will see especially in the book of Job and in the temptation of Jesus they are quoting the devil what the devil spoke the words of the devil are also recorded in this so right now in this portion of scripture it is Agur, the son of Jake, speaking. Anytime you read scripture, ask these few questions. Number one, who said it? To whom is it being said? What is the reason for it to be said? Why did he say it? What is the location? What is the context? Ask these few questions. And this will help you understand that scripture better as believers we are supposed to rightly divide the word of truth so here it is agur speaking and verse 2 says surely i am more stupid than any man that's new king james king james says i'm brutish brutish simply means foolish or stupid says i'm more stupid than any man so basically so you can say this is the most stupidest person speaking. He admits it's himself. And he said, and I do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. He's admitting it. I am the most stupid person on earth and I don't have wisdom, neither have I understanding of God. And it is that person saying these things. He said, don't make me rich. Give me neither poverty nor riches. And people without understanding that have taken that portion of scripture and made it, made a religious prayer out of it and made doctrines out of it. You should not be rich. You should, you should be neither rich nor poor. Are you understanding this? Hallelujah. Let's look at some more. In um, Psalms 37, Another famous scripture that people have misquoted, Verse 25. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Wow. It says the righteous will never be forsaken. Amen to that. And his descendants will never beg bread. You will not be brought down to the level of begging. You will have all your needs met just enough. Not too much, just enough. Just, to, just from the level to prevent you from begging. Let's read the, the next part of that scripture. Psalms 37, verse 26, it says, He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Wow. It says, he is merciful and lends. If he has just enough to meet his needs, how can he lend? Read verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land. Hey, It's not talking about a 30 by 40 plot. It says the land. Huge properties. And it says in verse 37. Uh, mark the blameless man or the righteous man and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace. Do you know what that word peace is? That's the that's Hebrew word, Shalom, which means nothing missing, nothing broken, abundantly supplied for, basically, prosperity. Look at that. It says the future of that man is Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken, all needs met, abundantly supplied for prosperity. And it says he is able to lend and he has more than enough just to get by. Not only that, he has enough to leave an inheritance for his children's children. His descendants are blessed. Go to Proverbs chapter 10 verse 3. It says the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. What did we read before? Verse 6. What does it say? Blessing are on the head of the righteous. And what does that blessing do? It makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. So when you read this, don't just take this scripture. Say God will not let him famish. Or he will not let famine come upon him. Just make him get by. No. Continue reading the whole scripture. Proverbs 13, verse 25. The righteous eats to the satisfying of the soul. That means he's fully satisfied. His mind is like, oh, I've eaten enough. Oh, I've enjoyed enough. Overflow. I can't take any more. That's how God feeds you. Not just barely getting by. Ah, I've eaten something. That's all. No. No. Psalm 72, verse 7, it says, The righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace. Abundance of peace, the same word shalom, which means nothing missing, nothing broken, abundantly supplied for prosperity. The righteous shall flourish. And how does he flourish? Psalms 92, verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Have you seen the cedar trees in Lebanon? I grew up in the Middle East. I have a fair idea of how the cedar trees in Lebanon are. They are huge. Proverbs 11 verse 28. He who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. What is foliage? Leaves. Have you seen the number of leaves on a tree? Is it just one leaf per tree? No, hundreds of thousands of leaves says the righteous will flourish like foliage. That means multiply so much. Uncountable. Do you know any person who's counted the number of leaves on a tree, a huge tree? No, definitely not. That's how you're going to prosper. Hallelujah. So we should not be deceived. There are false teachings out there. People who glorify poverty. They are people who have no understanding of righteousness. The benefits of righteousness. You need to understand this and you need to take hold of this. Don't be like some religious leaders who show things, a lot of things outwardly. Let's look at some religious leaders in Jesus' days. Luke chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. Now this is recorded in the Bible. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things And they derided him. Talking about the Pharisees, the religious people in Jesus' days. Who are they? Lovers of money. Verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. These religious leaders were highly esteemed among men. And but in the sight of God, because they were lovers of money, they were an abomination in the sight of God. Unfortunately, there are many religious leaders, Christian leaders who are lovers of money. And it is a sign of the last days. It's a sign of the last days. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 onwards. But know this, in the last days perilous time shall come, for men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And as you continue, it says they are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. He's talking about the condition of the last days. So there are religious leaders who are lovers of money. And, and Paul also talks about them, false teachers. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse three, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which which is according to godliness, he is proud, he knows nothing, but is obsessed with and disputes and, and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and of destitute of truth, who oppose godliness in a mean of gain, from such withdraw yourself. Look at this. If anyone teaches otherwise, that means this person is a teacher of the word. But what does he say? He does not consent with wholesome words, the words of Jesus Christ. That means this guy is a teacher, but he is not scriptural. And his teachings are not according to the word. And verse 5 says, they are of corrupt minds, Destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself. Let me read that verse five and amplify it for you. Says who imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit, a money-making business, a means of livelihood, from such withdraw. So they use godliness, their religious positions, as a source of profit. And money-making business. There are people like that in the body of Christ today. They're there. We cannot deny that. But just because of a few rotten apples, you cannot say everybody's like that. That's why we are looking at the word here. We are looking at the truth. As the righteousness of God, it is your right to prosper. You are blessed. You need to understand that. So you need to equip yourself to receive what is promised for you. Scripture says in Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Who is speaking here? God is speaking. About whom is he speaking? His own people. God says his own people are perishing, are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. And Jesus said, they shall know the truth and the truth will set them free. What is the truth? John 17:17 says, your word is the truth. You need to know the words of Christ, wholesome words, words of life, the truth. And it says, blessed are the righteous. Blessing is on the head of the righteous. And the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. I'm not saying you need to run behind prosperity. You need to run behind. things. No, no. Let's go back to Matthew 6, verse 31. It says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? We saw earlier in verse 26 that God takes care of the birds of the air. And you are better than them. You are created in his image. You are a child of God. So you don't have to worry about what you are going to eat. What you are going to drink. What you are going to wear. No. What is the solution? Verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look at that. Do you see the word righteousness there? You need to seek run behind it get an understanding of it know how it works know what are the benefits and then what happens all these things that the world runs after all these things that the world runs behind will be added to you you don't have to toil for it it'll be added to you why because you know and you seek after god his kingdom and his righteousness You run behind it. You sought after it. You got it. You got an understanding of it. You are awake to righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15.34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. So you are awake to who you are. You are aware of it. You run behind it. All those things will be added to you. It will not be taken away from you. It will be added to you. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 again. Verse 6. Now godliness... With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. It's talking about contentment. That means at the level where you are, you are satisfied. You know that God is your source. If a need comes, God takes care of it. You are not running. Or greedy behind things of the world. You seek God first. You go behind God. In every level that you are in right now. You seek after God. And God takes you to the next level. At that level, you are content. God has given me this. You don't compare yourself with anybody else. You know who you are. You know your rights. You know this is where God wants you to be. And you know God will take care of you. That is being content. You're not running behind things. And as you do and obey, you eat the good of the land. Scripture says, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. At every level, you're willing and obedient to what God tells you, what the word of God tells you. And God will take care of you. He supplies all your needs at that level where you are in right now. That is contentment. Let's continue reading. First Timothy 6, let's read. Verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Does it say money is the root of all evil? No. The love of money is the root of all evil. A love of money. For which some have strayed away from the faith. In their greediness. Now, I want you to notice something. Does it say they have abandoned the faith? No. It says they have strayed away from the faith. And who is it talking about? People who already had the faith. Believers. He's talking to believers. So it said, some believers have strayed away from the faith. That means this is the path you're supposed to take. You were there for a while, but somehow, by greediness, you got strayed away. You were strayed away from the path. That means they are not far away. Their greediness took them away. And it says, they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The question is, did God bring the sorrow upon them? No. Their greediness... Their lust after the things of the world, after money, took them away. And that brought trouble upon them. That brought them sorrow. God did not do it. What did God say? Hey, I'm not against you having all kinds of things. Seek me first and all these things will be added to you. My righteousness. Seek my righteousness. These things will be added to you. Let's read verse 17. Same chapter. Command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Wow. I love this. He's talking to those who are rich. He said, don't be proud and do not put your trust in uncertain riches. I want to take a moment to talk about that. Uncertain riches. What do you mean by uncertain riches? Let me give you a practical example. All those who are working, you those who have a regular job, you know, at the end of the month, your salary comes. What do you do with your salary? You plan ahead. All right. I'll be getting so much money. And out of this, so much will go for the house payment, so much for the car, so much for fuel, so much for the school fees so much for electricity bill, so much for the phone bills. You're planning already. Those are your basic needs. And then you say, oh, okay, I'm getting my bonus this month. I can buy the latest iPhone with it. So you're planning ahead. Did the salary come? No. Much before the salary came, you've already started planning. Way before you received your salary, you already in your mind planned about how you're going to spend it. I'm not against planning. Did you have it in your hand? No. But even before that, you planned. What if your company shut down? What if another lockdown came that shut down your company? Are you going to get your salary? No. What if your boss ran away with the money? Do you know anything that's going to happen tomorrow? No. Nobody expected a lockdown in 2020. Nobody expected to lose their job in Jan 2020. No. Suddenly it came upon them. This is called uncertain riches. Anytime you say, oh, he's going to give me this money, I'll do this business, I'll get so much money, and with this money, I'll do this, I'll buy this lottery, I'll win this, I'll get this. It's called trusting or putting your trust in uncertain riches. There is no certainty about it. It can run away from you. You may not even see it. Why is it uncertain? In your mind, you're certain about it. Oh, it's going to come. And that's why you made all the plans. Oh, I'm going to get this inheritance. I'll buy this car. I'll buy this apartment. I'll buy this house. You're planning. Did you have it? Much before you got it, you started planning about what you're going to do with it. It's called trusting in uncertain riches. God is saying, do not trust in uncertain riches. But where do you, whom do you trust? In the living God, And what does he do? He gives you richly all things to enjoy. Enjoy is not a bad word. He is talking to Christians. He is talking to believers. Does God want you to richly enjoy things? Yes, it is written. It's written in your Bible. It says, God who gives richly all things to enjoy. In fact, let's look at this in the Amplified Bible. First Timothy 6.17 in the Amplified. And for the rich in this world, charge them not to be proud and arrogant and contemptuous of others, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Say with me, enjoyment. Say, God provides everything for my enjoyment. He gives me richly all things to enjoy. It's a scriptural word. It's from scripture. to richly enjoy things that God has given you. A scripture. The Passion Translation says, To all the rich of this world, I command you not to be wrapped in thoughts of pride over your prosperity or rely on your wealth, for your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust instead In the one who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every Mm. need. Wow. I love this. Trust in the living God who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every Mm. need. Isn't it amazing? Aren't you excited about this? What God does to to you? Hallelujah. Let me read the same scripture from the message translation. Tell those rich in this world's wealth and to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage. Does God want you to be rich? Yes. Does he want to richly bless you? Yes. Does he want to pile on you all the riches that you could ever manage? Yes. Yes. Does he want to richly give you all things to enjoy? Yes, it is scriptural. Why? Because you are you're his child. You are a child of God. You have his nature. You are righteous. You are right with him. Where are you seated? At the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly places in Christ. Far above all principality, power, might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the church, which is his body. Who is the church? You and me. We are the body of Christ. We are seated at the right hand of God the Father. Far above any trouble, any financial need, any bank loan, you are seated there. That's your position in Christ. You are the righteousness of God. God wants you to be rich. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Our God is a rewarder. Psalms 58 verse 11 says, Men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. There is a reward. Does the reward decrease you? Absolutely not. It increases you. Psalms 18 verse 20 says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Psalms 18 verse 24. The Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. What is your righteousness? The righteousness of God. If he is going to reward you according to your righteousness, which is the righteousness of God, how big is the reward? So how do you practice this? Let's go back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We read verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy, continue, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. That's how you do it. Why is this important? I'm coming to the main point here. Why is this important? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. To be rich, to have abundance. We read in 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you were healed. Do you see a similar phrase here? It says, by his poverty you might become rich. He became poor for us. What does it mean when it says he became poor for us? Jesus was rich. He was so rich that he had a treasurer. Judas was handling the money. He had an account. He was the accountant. He was the treasurer. He stole from it. Still, they had more than enough to give to the poor. He wore a seamless robe, and that robe was a rich man's robe. That's why when they were crucifying him, the Roman soldiers cast a lot for the robe. Do you know anybody who cast a lot for a poor man's robe? No, he was rich. He left all that, and he hung naked on the cross, left everything left everything, hung naked on the cross, took your poverty upon himself. Though he was very rich, let me read this from the Amplified. You are becoming progressively acquainted with and recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his kindness, his gracious generosity, his undeserved favor and spiritual blessing. In that, though he was so very rich, Yet for your sakes, say this with me, for my sake, say, for my sake, he became so very poor in order that by his poverty, you might become enriched abundantly supplied. Say this with me, though he was so very rich, yet for my sakes, he became so very poor in order that by his poverty, I might become Enriched, abundantly supply. Hallelujah. By his poverty, you are made rich. By his poverty, you are made rich. The same way you receive healing, you receive your prosperity. By his stripes, you were healed. By his poverty, you are made rich. You are rich. You are blessed with every blessing in heavenly places. So how do you appropriate it? Giving and receiving. The same chapter. Let's go to verse 1. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Moreover brethren. We make known to you the grace of our God. Bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And this is talking about the churches of Macedonia. The Philippian church. This, this says. We make known to you. The grace of God. In verse 8. What were we talking about? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It says that in their trial of affliction and the abundance or their deep poverty, in their trial of affliction, great trial of affliction, and it says their deep poverty, what did they show? In the great trial of affliction, there was abundance of joy. And through their deep poverty, they abounded in riches of liberality. In deep poverty, they were liberal they were giving liberally so much that they were forcing the apostle paul to take it apostle paul was saying no i can i can't take this i see your deep poverty i see your great trial of affliction i cannot take this you need this more than me but he the great apostle paul recorded that in the depth of their poverty they were so liberal let me read this in the amplified it says the grace the favor, the spiritual blessing of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, arousing in them the desire to give alms. For in the midst of an ordeal of severe tribulation, their abundance of joy and their depth of poverty together have overflowed in wealth of lavish generosity on their part. Wow. And he continued, For I can bear witness, that they gave according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they did it voluntarily, begging us most insistently for the favor and the fellowship of contributing in the ministration for the relief and support of the saints in Jerusalem. Wow. In the depth of their poverty, they were forcing Paul to take their liberal donation. Imagine, deep poverty. How much can they give? But whatever they have, they give joyfully. He said, abundance of joy. Abundance of joy. That's why in chapter 9, verse 6 onwards, it's talking about sowing and reaping. It says, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. How did the Philippians give? How did the church in Macedonia give? abundance of joy. Did God love it? Absolutely. That's why he recorded it for us. God loves a cheerful giver. The Amplified says, he takes pleasure in prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. Wow. God loves such a person. Not forcibly. Amplified said, Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purpose in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. No matter what the pastor says, no matter how the evangelist says, You are not supposed to give under compulsion. You will not give under force. You will not give regretfully. You will not give sorrowfully. God loves a cheerful, prompt to do it, giver, a joyful giver. If it is not coming out of joy, then don't give. Because in God's eyes, he has not accepted it. Maybe the minister to whom you gave might have profited out of it, but... In God's eyes, he was not happy. God did not like it. Don't give grudgingly. If you're giving, give happily, joyfully. Because you have the nature of God. God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son. He gave the best he could. He loved the world so much. Romans 5.5 says, The same love of God is shed abroad in your heart. You have the same nature of God. So how will you give the best? How? Joyfully. Joyfully. That's the only way to do it. Like I said earlier, I am not raising an offering. All the teachings here are absolutely free. And I encourage you to share it with others. The main purpose of these teachings are to build up the body of Christ. Our title says conform to his image. The purpose of these teachings are to build you up. To bring you to an identity of who you are. So you can possess everything that God has for you. So you will be conformed to the image of Christ. That's who you really are. This is your nature. And what's the result of it? Let's continue. Chapter 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always Having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I read from the Amplified. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing. Uh, Look at this. It's not talking about spiritual blessings. It's talking about earthly blessings. Come to you how? Sparingly? Limitedly? No. In abundance. Why? Why? That's the reason. So you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be, self-sufficient. Whatever the need is, you are self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Wow. I don't have to explain this anymore. You understood this. Just read the scripture there on the screen. Self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Hallelujah. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in all things in every way so you can be generous and your generosity as it is administered by us, will bring forth thanksgiving to God. Wow! You can be generous on every occasion. You can be generous on every occasion. And what is the result of your generosity? It results in thanksgiving to God. Look at this. It says, and your generosity as it is administered by us, will bring forth thanksgiving to God. What does he mean by that? Paul was a full-time minister. They gave generously to Paul. And what was the result of that? He was able to minister to people. He was able to minister to other churches. He was able to bless, bring provision to other churches. And that resulted in thanksgiving to God. Somebody's generosity resulted in the minister being able to generously provide and that resulted in thanksgiving to God. Let me give you a testimony here. During the lockdown, we saw tremendous persecution. We saw a lot of poverty and lack. Many migrant laborers stranded. They couldn't go home. They had no jobs. They lost their jobs. They couldn't provide for their family, children. It was heartbreaking. Lots of slums filled with people with no food. And the government was unable to do it. But thank God we were able to give to them. God provided sacks of rice came in, vegetables came in, potatoes, onions, Maggie noodles, boxes of Maggie noodles. It came in milk packets, hundreds of them. And what did we do with them? We were able to give generously to them. Pregnant women used to come and fall at our feet and said, I'm hungry. I'm pregnant. I've not eaten for two days. Please give me something. Man, it brought tears in our eyes. And we were able to give generously to them. We were able to support them for three months. Even children who had no way to go to school, when the school started, their parents didn't have money to buy mobile phones for them, cell phones for them, or laptops or tablets for them, so they could attend school online. They're poor migrant laborers. We were able to provide for them. Hallelujah. What is this? And what was the result? It resulted in thanksgiving to God. They would come. They would say, oh, thank you so much. Thank God for sending you to us. Who got the thanksgiving? God got the thanksgiving. God got the thanksgiving. And we took it as an opportunity to share the gospel. How did people come to us? Because they knew that we were giving. They came to us because we were giving. We became a beacon of hope for them. So we could, as ministers of God, we could minister to them. We gave them sacks of rice. And in the sacks, we put the gospel tracts. We shared the gospel to them. We were restricted. We were told, you're not supposed to preach them. You're not supposed to lay hands on anybody. But they didn't say we couldn't give them tracts. We put the tracts in the sacks of rice and we distributed it to them. We gave it to them. We prayed with people. Though limitedly, we did lay hands on people. We prayed with them. We saw many people being saved. We saw many people healed. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is so good. The generosity of some people resulted in thanksgiving to God. Those are the good works that it's talking about. Hallelujah. We read it. I'll read it again. Let's go to first Timothy six again. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good and be rich in Good works, ready to give, willing to share. That's what happened. They gave, they were willing to share. And what did they gain for themselves? Verse 19 says, They were storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may hold on to eternal life. You have an account in heaven. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, he says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Your works follow you to him. Let's read Acts chapter one, verse 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So he was a Roman soldier, Roman centurion, a devout man, And one who feared God with all his house, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, what is his character mentioned here? He's a devout man. He feared God. And what did he do? He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Wow. Scripture has noted down something. Verse 3 says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in the vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Wow. What came as a memorial before God? His prayers and his arms. So your giving becomes a memorial, a monument before God. God cannot ignore it. This man was a God-fearing man. He prayed and he gave alms generously. And his prayers and his almsgiving stood as a monument before God. It stood before God. God could not ignore it anymore. This is important. If an unbeliever could do it and God would not neglect it, how much more you who is recreated in the image of God, the righteous. God wants you to be blessed and prosperous. God has blessed you, he wants you to prosper. He has given you the power to get well. The blessing of God is upon your head and that will make you rich. How do you act on it? How do you receive it? How do you bring it to pass into manifestation in your life right now? Simply follow the pattern in the Bible. First of all, know it is God's will for you to prosper because you're righteous. It's your inheritance. The blessing of the Lord is upon you. God wants you to richly enjoy all things. Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Hallelujah. God wants to freely give you all things. He gave up his son for you. Why? He became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in him. So he will freely give you all things. Hallelujah. Say with me, I freely receive all things. All things. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, As his divine power, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Look at that. It does not say he is going to give you all things. That pertain to life and godliness. It says he has already given you all things. Life and godliness. Natural and spiritual things. He has given you all. And what is given to you in the spirit. Will manifest in the natural. And how do you get it? Through the knowledge of him. That's why the next verse says. By which he has given to us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these you may become partakers of the divine nature. Which having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. How do you get it? Through exceeding great and precious promises. You take those promises. To whom are these promises given? To the righteous, to his children. Through these promises, you receive all things that you need in this life. All things, natural and spiritual. All the spiritual gifts that you need, it's already given to you. You believe and you receive it. All the money you need is already given to you. It's in your name. You take it through the knowledge. Get the knowledge from the word of God. Hallelujah. Move Go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Let's read from verse 9 to 11. It's a prayer here. And I would encourage all of you to pray these prayers. As a church, we pray these prayers every single day. And we pray these in all the prayer meetings and intercessory prayers. We pray these prayers over ourselves, over our family members, over our church members, over our pastors, leaders, and the body of Christ. In fact, I pray these prayers for you, all of you. I put your name here, and it says, and I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Fruits of righteousness. God wants you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. What are these fruits of righteousness? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9 again. Verse 10, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seeds that you have sown the fruits of your righteousness. What is he talking about? You're giving and receiving. He will give you the seed to sow and when you sow the seed, what will he do with the seed? He will multiply the seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You're able to give out more. That's why the next verse says, while you are enriched in everything, In all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. The fruits of your righteousness. You're enriched in everything so you can be liberal. So I would encourage you to pray these prayers. This is very important. Put your name in there. Pray these prayer over yourselves. Pray this over your children, over your spouses, over your parents, over your pastors, over your church members. I believe you understood this. Prosperity is the inheritance or birthright of the righteous. Say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Blessings are on my head. I am blessed with every blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And the blessing of the Lord that is upon me, it makes me rich, abundantly supplying. I have more than enough, all my needs are met, I have plenty more to put in store, and I can be liberal and generous in every occasion, for every charitable donation, in the name of Jesus, that's my nature, that's who I am, that's my identity, in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's take communion, communion time is a time to remember. You remember what the broken body and shed blood has accomplished for you. What did the broken body do for you? By his tribes, you were healed. By his poverty, you are made rich. So it's your inheritance. You need to receive it. Hallelujah. His favor surrounds you like a sheep. The righteousness of God. The blood of Jesus has declared you justified, made you righteous sanctified you so that you may be used for the good works that God has planned for you. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for opening the eyes of our understanding. We receive your word with meekness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We understand who we are. and Right now, Lord, we remember what your broken body and shed blood has accomplished for us. Your blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Declared us righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Restored us in fellowship with God. By your broken body. By your stripes we were healed. If we were healed, we are healed right now. Right now. We walk in divine health, healing and wholeness. That's our inheritance. We take it as the righteous. Jesus paid for it. He bore our sicknesses, weaknesses, distresses. And carried our sorrows and pains. So we don't have to carry it anymore. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and gives life to our body. So we speak life. Speak life to every cell, tissue, muscle, fiber, organ, every uh, every bone, every bone marrow in the name of Jesus. I speak life to every joints in Jesus' name. speak life to our immune system, to our central nervous system. Life in Jesus' name. By his stripes, we were healed. And thank you, Lord, for supplying all our needs. By your poverty, we are made rich. We've become rich. We are rich. All our needs are met. We are out of debt. We have plenty more to put in store. Thank you, Father. We can be generous on every occasion. You give us seed to sow, and you multiply the seed soon. You increase the fruits of our righteousness. And you surround us with favor like a shield. Your favor opens doors for us, Lord. Open doors in ministry, in business, in education, in every field. In the name of Jesus. Favor with ungodly people. With ungodly authorities. Favor with relatives. Favor with authority. Favor with people working under you. Favor with neighbors. Favor in relationships. In the name of Jesus. And thank you, Lord Jesus, you became our wisdom. We receive wisdom. Wisdom of God. In every situation, in everything that concerns us, we operate in the wisdom of God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And we take this meal in faith. We examine ourselves. We don't do it as a tradition. We don't do it just because somebody told us to. We take this in remembrance, in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's eat and drink. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. It is done. We believe, we receive. And I speak over every person listening to me right now. In the name of Jesus, I call them blessed. Every yoke destroyed, every burden removed, every need met. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining today. I believe you understood these things. You are blessed.